Even though he had three opponents in the Democratic primary, State Representative Courtney Curtis emerged victorious last Tuesday. And now he's thinking ahead for his third term in the Missouri House. The Ferguson Democrat joins us next on another edition of Politically Speaking. Nine, eight, eight seven, six, six five, five four, three, two, one. Uh, I think that is fair As to I say. say hands to kiss and babies to shake. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think my record speaks for itself. That's a really good question. Hello and welcome to the Politically Speaking podcast. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. I have two co-hosts today. The first to my left is... Stephanie Lecce. I'm the newscast producer here. And to my right as my other co-host... Rebecca Rivas. I'm a reporter with the St. Louis American. And as our special guest today, fresh off his re-election victory over three different Democratic opponents we have as our special guest... State Representative Courtney Allen Curtis. A Democrat. You live in Ferguson now. You represent part of North St. Louis County. Before we ask you any question, what, what is your district and what does it encompass? Sure. Uh, so it's everything around the airport, Ferguson, Berkeley, Cool Valley, Kinlock, Edmondson, Woodson Terrace, St. Anne, and then portions of Normandy and Bridgeton. So a lot of cities, basically. Yes. A lot of cities. So before we talk about your reelection and the issues that are going to come in the next session, as is custom with all of our guests, tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of your 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 professional career before you got into politics, and why you decided to run for the state house in the first place. Sure. Um, so I decided to run because I lived in Columbia, Missouri, for about eleven years, and in Columbia, um, I saw Columbia grow and expand, uh, both people-wise and business-wise. And when I got back to uh, my hometown of Ferguson, it didn't seem like we had progressed as much as Columbia, Missouri. Uh, so since I was unmarried and didn't have any children, I thought that I had some extra time and energy to try to make things better for my, at least for my niece that was on the way. Mm-hmm. And just for full disclosure, um, you were actually a co-worker and I guess a friend of my former roommate, Jeremy Stein, at the Holiday Inn in Columbia. Did you work there like in IT or something like that? Yes, I was a human resource and IT manager. There. Yeah. So is that kind of your professional background, more IT related stuff or yes. stuff like that? Yeah. Are there any other people in the Missouri politics who have IT related field? Do you have like an IT caucus or anything? <laughs> we don't, but I'll look into doing that this uh, session. I think you should. <laughs> so you, when you ran in tw- 2012, and I admitted this off there, and I'll admit this to the world, um, you were running against Doug Clemens, who had who had run in 2010, barely lost, and I thought was the favorite in the race because he, I guess he had more money. I thought that he would have learned from his mistakes in 2010. As it turns out, I was very wrong because you won 56-44. I think that there were a lot of different things at play, but what do you think was behind your 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 emergence into the Missouri House, basically? Sure. So he actually lost his previous race by just 11 votes. Um, so that told me that I needed to do everything possible to make sure that I could actually win. Uh, so that meant that I would knock on 100 doors a day in order to get there every day except for Sunday just because I respect it for family time. So that's exactly what I did. Some of the dynamics that uh, were present in the race were simply the fact that Carnahan was running against Congressman Clay. If there's one thing that's important to the um, African-American community is keeping what we have and uh, making sure that we support our leaders. So knowing that uh, in talking with the previous uh, elected official, they told me that I needed about 1,000 votes to win, and I just didn't think that that was right. Ordinarily, you would need about a thousand votes to win that race, but because it was only two people in the race, and because of the uh, Clay Carnahan dynamic, 
it told me that I needed about 1600 and I actually got about 1676 in that election. So that race was a lot different from your most recent one. Let's kind of talk about that now. Um, and we'll, we'll probably get, weave in some of the subtext to it. So you ran against three other Democrats, one, a former state representative, Eileen McGay, I think that's how you pronounce her name. McGagan. McGagan. Um, Lee Smith, who ran for Ferguson City Councilman, and I think one other person. Yes, uh, Dan Weibrock, a yeah. third-generation plumber and pipe fitter. Yeah. So basically, you were running against, I think, three people with pretty strong ties to organized labor. You have kind of compiled a record in the Missouri House, a little bit more critical. I, I kind of wrote in my uh, preview of the election that I thought that these three could cancel each other out. It turns out that that's pretty much what happened. You won with 32% of the vote. Lee Smith got 30% of the vote. Tell me what it was like to run in that race and why you think you came out ahead. Sure. Uh, so I base everything on my faith and uh, having faith in the community. I thought that I had done a good job in terms of representing my community, uh, specifically during Ferguson, and then using the position as chairman of urban issues to bring about the issues that, uh, as a Democrat, we normally don't get the opportunity to talk about. Uh, so based off of that, I made a conscious decision to just put faith in my community and believe that they would actually uh, carry me over the top, and they did. Um, in running against three people and having never been challenged again except for the first race, I didn't know what to expect. I had plans uh, for days, but I didn't have money. So the money didn't come in until about uh, nearly eight and a half weeks uh, before the actual primary date, and that changed the dynamics, and then it still took a an additional 15 uh, days for the money to uh, even be accessible to me. So it still put me kind of in a bind in terms of what I could do and when I could actually start. And that was the money from the Humphreys family, by yes. the way. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wanted to talk to you about another election. Um, in September 2014, you were among 30 elected officials who, uh, in St. Louis County, who formed the Fannie Lou Hamer Democratic Coalition. Mm -hmm. And the idea behind that was um, to address the disparate treatment and disrespect of African Americans in the county. Um, and you, I think that as a coalition, you guys blew a lot of people's minds when you endorsed Republican Rick Stream against Steve Stinger. And you yourself said it wasn't about supporting Stream as a candidate, but it was to show the Democratic Party as a whole that they can't ignore the African-American elected officials in the county and their constituents and still expect them to vote just because they're Democrats. And then uh, you, um, I feel like you attempted to use that same tactic when you sponsored the so-called right to work bill for uh, building trades in early 2015, uh, which um, naturally Demo Democrats would be against. Um, in your testimony before a legislative committee, you said that it was about equality and discrimination in um, the, the contractors unions. And um, you said specifically that the union's practices of legal discrimination have recently manifested in St. Louis area legislations that require bidders on, on government contracts of 20,000 or more to maintain or participate in federally approved apprenticeship programs. So I know that um, part of your reason to sponsor the right to work was to basically trump some of these legislations that were happening on the county and, and um, potentially at the city level. Um, but, you know, Stinger ultimately won and uh, you um, weren't succeeding in your right to work bill. 
were these things um, productive nonetheless, uh, despite these losses? And um, was it worth it? Because I know you had a lot of pushback from other black Democrats. And that kind of manifested itself in the election. Uh, So outwardly, it was a loss, purely by numbers. But it was a win for the community. Uh, You can't talk to labor and not say that we didn't have an impact. We've had an impact because individuals have been uh, added to the St. Louis Labor Council. Um, Even when I filed that bill, uh, they uh, were pushing for the 20% um, uh, contract, uh, whatever number that they needed in order to have a registered apprenticeship program in the city. They stopped that because I filed the bill. And then they had to come back and do it through executive order uh, through Mayor Slate. Otherwise, they would have kept trying to push it through the St. Louis uh, City uh, Aldermanic Board, but they didn't do that. So it had impacts across the board. Just about four weeks ago, we had a meeting, several members of the Black Caucus and myself, with about five national labor leaders. And I said that when I did that, it should have sounded alarm bells. One person said it did. That's why we're here. And I said, well, you know, that was February of 2015, and we're just now getting here. And the one individual that's been present the entire time said he didn't. He tried to do it, and he wasn't able to do it. And for me, there is no try. You do, if it's that important to you. But we've gotten the attention. I still have the voicemail from Richard Trumka when he called me. I have the lit, the letter that he wrote to me in response to my letter asking him to uh, adopt a, re- a resolution uh, stating that all union members are equal. And uh, in between the call and the letter, he thanked me for pushing to hold the unions in unions accountable uh, to make things better for my community. So we've had wins across the board. We're getting, uh, you know, even more uh, progress. It's still slower than what we want, but um, we've definitely um, put the onus on them to show that they support our community. Well, Representative Curtis, let me ask you to expound a little bit on kind of your fundamental view of the role of unions. I mean, do you see a benefit to unions, particularly for workers of color? And if so, then why sponsor legislation that you yourself said, quote, would hopefully cripple the building trades? Sure. Uh, So the building trades, uh, with regard to my community, they don't uh, care for us. Uh, Even what they've done in the past two years, they still show that they don't care that much. They're only forced to do what they have to do because we're making them do that. And National is making them do that. So uh, there is a benefit if you can get in, but that's if you can get in. Uh, One of my opponents uh, is in the plumbers and pipe fitters. I think if you look at their numbers, about 4% of their uh, membership is minority. So if we can get in, there's a benefit. If we can't get in, there isn't a benefit to us in my community uh, to have those uh, types of unions. But if we can get in and get the great life that you can get without having, uh, you know, a stellar education or without even having a college degree and make 70 plus thousand dollars and take care of your entire family, then that would be a good thing. But we haven't gotten that to date. So it was simply a political move uh, that I still would do again. Don't have any problem with doing that. I'll go up against anyone to get what my community deserves and what it needs. And that's exactly what we need after Ferguson and all of the other uh, situations that we've had to deal with. Um, as far as Fannie Lou Hamer, have, have you guys pushed forward anything that you feel particularly proud about? Uh, yes. Uh, simply every action that uh, Councilwoman Hazel Irby, who is the chair of uh, Fannie Lou Hamer, uh, everything that she does on the council shows that she's still pushing. Uh, we're still pushing and showing that the Democrats that are on the council are not with us. They're not with our community. So every action still shows that we have a lot of work to do in the Democratic Party and that they do not respect and they do not care 
for the African-Americans in this community. So that means that we're going to have to show them again in 2018 that we mean business and we have to be a part of it. But we're already starting to see success even from that because Fannie Lou Hamer just recently had an endorsement meeting with all of the statewide uh, candidates with the exception of Chris Coster uh, to get the endorsement for the primaries that just ended. So we had that in the past month. So the influence of Fannie is still strong and the impact that we're having, though you may not see it come out in policies because we still have work to do in terms of uh, pushing for new leadership, uh, we're having an impact and the impact will continue. What do you think the impact of Rochelle Walton Gray winning her council race is going to have on the dynamics of the council. We just recently had her on our show. There's a feeling that she and Hazel Irby could forge a coalition with the two Republicans that could make it much life a lot harder for Stanger. What do you think the impact of that would be? Uh, well, the impact of her winning period is a game changer. It tells the unions that they no longer control North County. Uh, even though they control North County labor, they don't control North County. The people wanted something different. The people want someone that's going to be responsive to them. And if there's one thing that I know about Representative Walton Gray is she's going to be responsive to her people and she's going to do what's right for them. So in terms of her and Councilwoman Irby, they can form that coalition uh, if they are willing to. If they're not willing to, then we'll see something different. Uh, after having a conversation with uh, Mr. Harder in Jefferson City, he's willing to work just because right now he's not getting what he needs. So they just need one more person, and it looks like that would be um, either Colleen Wassinger or the uh, candidate that wins in uh, November. For the 6th District race yes, for the South can, County. If they can get that person, uh, depending on who it is, and they see that the tide is turning, then we can do a lot for you know both communities, which haven't seen anything that they needed in the past two years. Specifically after Ferguson, we had um, several items that Councilwoman Irby was going to push for. And uh, I think one of those, uh, she didn't even get the legislation. That was with uh, regard to using credits, uh, your credit score in terms of determining whether or not you can get a job uh, for the application. Uh, they didn't even return that, um, that piece of legislation to her. Um, and then she did file a resolution stating that they would do things that they could to improve the county after Ferguson. I believe everyone voted in favor of that. And if you go back and look what they've actually done since Ferguson, you will see that they really haven't done anything. And that's likely because, in my opinion, that leadership still doesn't care. Let's move uh, the uh, attention from the county council and what it has or has not done post-Ferguson to the state legislature. Uh, being right there in the thick of things, do you feel that the state legislature has done enough to address racially discriminatory court policing practices in communities across the state, as well as issues like economic development and job creation for communities of color? Uh, absolutely not. I wouldn't sit here and tell you that they have. Uh, they have not. And that's simply just because um, it's super Republican uh, controlled. Uh, there's a super Republican majority in both chambers. And um, as the former speaker said, there wasn't going to be a Ferguson agenda. Um, and there wasn't a Ferguson agenda. Uh, the one piece of legislation that we saw is uh, I was critical of, I voted against, SB5. Uh, it was bad for our community simply because though you're stopping uh, them from doing bad practices against the people, you did not provide a means for increasing economic development opportunities within the regions and within the region. And we haven't had that for the past 10 to 14 years, a unified economic development strategy for North County, 
uh, for the municipalities in question uh, from both the state level, the county level, or even from uh, the municipal level. They hadn't had that, and there was a true opportunity for Governor Nixon to come in, uh, even with Mr. Stinger, and then to meet with the municipalities and say, what can we do economic development-wise to in, uh, improve this area to make sure that you're a part of the uh, growing region that St. Louis City wants, because that's the only way we compete with the Chicago. But we didn't get that type of leadership. We still don't have it, and I guess we won't have it until November and until November and 18 when we get new leadership in both places. Well, let me ask you, looking forward, what do you hope to do yourself next session that maybe could change the conversation on some of these issues? Sure. Um, as a second-term rep, I've definitely learned a lot, and I've uh, figured out how to use the uh, position of uh, chairman of Urban Issues. So I've raised the issues, and now I think there is an opportunity to actually pass legislation. I did get $500,000 into the House budget for um, an um, education institute, urban education institute at Harris Stowe State University, but that was ultimately stripped out in the Senate and I was unable to get that back. I also passed the legislation creating the Urban Education Institute. So I know what to do in order to get that to the governor's desk next time. So I'll uh, use that, um, I guess, that history uh, to make sure that whatever I do uh, push forward that we do get that. But uh, I've pressed, um, 20 different pieces of legislation since I've been there. And it's a learning curve uh, to uh, overcome. And I think I've overcome it. So now the question is, what is the single biggest piece of uh, legislation that we can push in order to actually uh, improve our communities? So once I come up with that, I'll have to look at what I've already proposed and try to form a new coalition since we have so many new people. We'll uh, use that and push forward. Any ideas what that big piece of legislation might be? Sure. Uh, so one thing that um, I actually did get passed out of committee was a uh, jobs program that would have uh, taken individuals and it would have uh, put them in a pipeline to state jobs or state funded jobs. Uh, we have a number of individuals that are looking for jobs. And if you've been without a job currently or to date and you've been there at without three months or six months, it's harder for you to get back into the private world. It may be easier to get those people into state jobs simply because, one, they've received state uh, resources and benefits. So the one benefit is they'll probably work harder for us because we were there for them when they needed it. Secondly, it's uh, some loopholes and restrictions, such as check the box that you don't have to, uh, you know, check. So that may get you into the pipeline sooner. And then if you could work for the state for six months or so, that puts you back in the eligible job market to go to a private corporation so we can funnel people through state-funded or state-operated jobs and then get them back out to the private world. That's one thing. The second thing that I'll continue to push is simply the Promise Zone. We have the Promise Zone for a little less than nine years uh, left, and the money that we've received compared to what Los Angeles got in one year is uh, pennies. Los Angeles got $52 million in the first year of having the Promise Zone. It doesn't make sense that we have Ferguson and all of the issues that we have in the St. Louis region, and we haven't received more than, let's just say, $5 million from the Promise Zone. How did Los Angeles, and it's only 200,000 people we're talking about in the Promise Zone, but in our community is 100,000 in North City, 100,000 in North County. With all of the issues, it makes no sense that we only got roughly $5 million in Promise Zone dollars. How did Los Angeles have the infrastructure to get $52 million in its first year of having the Promise Zone, and we couldn't put that, and we're supposed to be better together. Now, I guess I just wanted to see how tuned in, how tuned in you were um, following the 
um, disparity study in St. Louis County. I know that in reaction to some of these, um, the opposition, particularly with Fannie Lou Hamer, he um, he said, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to push forward a disparity study. It's in the works. And we, we're, we're looking for a contractor right now. But since then, it's pretty much been stalled. And by he, you mean Steve Stanger, by yes. the way. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, um, and basically, from what I know, it's still stalled. Um, how how much are you pushing for that, and and what is your interest in that? Sure. Uh, so I think, uh, and I've already urged uh, Councilwoman Irby to uh, push uh, for inclusion again. I think that needs to be job number one. Uh, but she's a independently elected individual; she can do what she chooses. Um, it just shows you Stinger's character and what really matters to him. Uh, the things that matter to him get pushed, uh, and they get supported by the other Democrats on the uh, council. Uh, so I haven't formally pushed uh, for that there because uh, we know the environment and we know what he's going to do and we know what the others are going to do. They're going to do what they want to do. But even with that, it took the governor um, roughly, let's say, about 11 months to implement his own disparity study that we had the uh, report from uh, in February of 15. I don't think they, he issued the executive order until November of 15, and he could have done it sooner. If that had anything to do with the uh, the pending stadium agreements and such, I don't know, but I issued a press release and asked for the governor to do that last February, February of 2015, and he didn't do that after Ferguson as soon as he could. He waited. So it seems like you can be a Democrat in Missouri, and with regards to the black community, you can wait. Uh, what I'm saying today, uh, at least with my win and with the other wins, is that you can't wait. We're going to keep pushing you. I'm going to lead the charge as much as possible to uh, push them. And uh, sooner or later, you're going to have to you're going to have to do for our community. So and, and to kind of follow up on that point, I think what you might be alluding to is the fact that not only did you win, but a number of Republicans who support right to work also won their primaries. Now, I think that whether that issue comes up again is going to depend on whether Chris Coster or Eric Greitens wins. But if, if for example, Coster is elected and he vetoes right to work, what would be your posture on that issue if it ends up coming up again? Would you vote for it again, as you did um, in the veto override, or would you be a little bit more hesitant this time because you feel like you made your point the first time around and you, you got the leverage that you needed, basically? That's a good question. Uh, what I'll say is that <laughs> I am a true politician now, <laughs> and I did it for a reason, and I can't say I've uh, – gotten the results that mm -hmm. I need mm -hmm. in order to stop pushing. It's clear that there are other individuals that are not pushing. I'm pushing. I have something that I want, and that's for my community to be whole. That's for my community to be better. So once the Democrats show me that they are ready to make my community whole and ready to show the same level of support that my community shows them, then I'll stop pushing. Mm -hmm. So I may entertain the conversation, and I made, uh, I'll definitely push um, what uh, ultimate vote I cast. We'll have to see um, what their actions show. I, I mentioned the Coster scenario because if, if Greitens becomes governor, the, the veto-proof majority becomes less important, and I think it's going to pass no matter what you end up doing. Oh, sure. They yeah. have the numbers for sure. Yeah. But what I can say is the past two years, Coster has come to my office, mm -hmm. and uh, one time he wants to know if I was leaving the Democratic Party. I said no. Um, and... Uh, the second time, you know, he said he didn't think I needed to keep pushing, uh, you know, because he thinks that they're ready. I don't think they're ready until they show me that they're ready, and they haven't shown it. 
the bud program can only get about 100 people through it. But that's the key piece of, uh, I guess, the pipeline builder that the unions talk about. It, they still haven't gotten 100 people through the program, I don't think. Uh, and then they still say that they can't find all the people. I offered to work for free to find the people that they said they couldn't. If I fought that hard against labor practically by myself, then they know I would do the job to put my people to work and to get them in the program and train. Mm -hmm. So what I was going with with Coster, Coster told me he didn't see right to work as the bellwether for being a Democrat. Well, that was going to be my next question, because I actually talked with you about this, I think, in 2015. In the Democratic Party, you can be opposed to abortion. You can be opposed to gun control. You can even be opposed to campaign contribution limits. You and can you, be a former Republican, you can too. Be, you can be a former Republican and become the Democratic nominee. But if you take a stance that's seen as anti-labor, basically the force of God come down, comes down upon you and you become a pariah. I wouldn't, say, I wouldn't say it's the force of God because I still won. So that and, means and, that it, and that's my point. You still won. But why do you think that is? Because, I mean, I understand maybe the reasoning because so many people in the Democratic Party are close to organized labor. But what's your opinion about why that's the case? We don't have enough uh, donors in this state that truly support the party. Uh, so labor is one of the, they're one of the biggest uh, supporters of the Democratic Party. But they are also very supportive of the Republicans that are uh, pro-labor. And, uh, and them losing with Ann Zare, I hope that they're going to change their practices going forward, but we'll see. Because ultimately both uh, Jeff Abusi and Mike Lewis have stated that labor is supportive of people that are supportive of labor. That's not just the Democrats. But when it comes to the black community or African Americans, we can only go to the Democratic Party. I talked to one person that's running for statewide office, and I told them we were going to meet with a Republican, and uh, their response to me was, it's nice to know that I'm being compared to a Republican that has all of these uh, things, principles, and beliefs in, uh, you know, in line with us. And I said, well, it's not about that, because we don't only go to the Democratic Party to get what we need. There are other people that advocate for us because our own party isn't necessarily advocating for us. There are ways to get things done. There are people that care about our community and are willing to show it. And until the Democrats actually realize that, uh, you know, we'll continue to pursue all options. So are you encouraging black voters in the St. Louis area and in across Missouri to maybe defect from the Democratic Party until they are more responsive? What I'm encouraging people to do is to look at more than the party, because if you look at what the party's done for you, they gave us Ferguson. They were completely in control of Ferguson. They were in control of the state uh, for several years prior to Ferguson. So there are things that the governor could have done through executive order and through his cabinet appointments and such that could have impacted and uh, alleviated uh, Ferguson from ever happening. He could have shown true leadership and brought together uh, Charlie Dooley at the time and uh, the municipalities and said, this is what we want to do. North Park is great, but it took you know almost 12 years for North Park to come to fruition. We could have pushed for that to happen before. We could have pushed more to have expanded the airport, which would have brought more economic development opportunities to the area. There's a number of things that we could have done, but uh, what I'm simply saying is we can't just go in and check the box uh, because it says Democrat or because it's uh, a person that's supposed to be with us because we know a lot of people say, I'm with you. And then after election day, we see who they're with because those are the people that get the positions. Those are the people that he advocates for or they advocate for. And those are the people that uh, reap the benefits 
of being in state government and holding certain positions. If you could just talk a little bit about what's happening in your community. You were out there knocking on doors and talking to people. What is it that they want? What is it that they're not getting right now? And and I guess how did it inspire your future um, service here the next few years? Sure. So just to be clear, um, I don't want anyone to get the wrong impression. I knocked on less than 100 doors this election cycle. And that was my way of uh, putting my community to the test. I did that because I thought I had done enough. I did that simply because of that, so I could see where we were and uh, so it could push me even further. So I saw that my community had my back uh, because we did that in two mailers and I had nine or ten negative mailers against me. So it means that I'm, I was doing, you know, a good job, so now I'm going to do an even better job just because I know ultimately the community had my back. What I did here is that we still want more. We still want change. If you ask me, uh, even before the election, I think almost two years after Ferguson, I've said this to a conference call of 300 elected officials from across the country, that even being from Ferguson, we haven't seen any change. There's change in faces, but faces don't change, uh, you know, the policies, because some of those faces are in line with the faces uh, prior to um, uh, the recent elections in Ferguson. That's the sad part, uh, but so change comes in a number of different ways and we still haven't gotten a positive change to propel Ferguson and the North County region forward or to even make it a part of a strong region to uh, compete with the Chicago. So people are still looking for the same things. They're looking for economic development opportunities. They're looking for, uh, you know, new people to move to the area because we have an aging population. Uh, we're looking for better schools. We're looking for all of that, and we still haven't gotten that, and we still have people that are destined to come out of the schools in our area and not necessarily be uh, ultimately prepared uh, to be college and uh, workforce ready, which is Desi's goal. Desi's dropped the ball plenty of times, and uh, it keeps falling on my community, sadly. You just spoke about education, and raising money for education using cigarette taxes has been a goal of yours for a while now. Which of the currently competing ballot initiative petitions or ballot initiatives are you backing the the Raise Your Hand for Kids initiative, which is sponsored kind of by Big Tobacco, or the other initiative backed by smaller cigarette makers and the Missouri Petroleum Marketers and Convenience Store Association? I 100% uh, fully endorse the Raise Your Hand for Kids uh, initiative. I brought together a group of elected officials last summer, and we had a press conference in support of a cigarette tax increase. Uh, it wasn't necessarily Raise Your, raise your Hand for Kids at that time, but I will be... Uh, pushing for everyone to uh, support that in the very near future. Um, and that's the one I'm in support of. Uh, it's a, a good deal. Um, and I don't see how anyone that uh, claims to be for my community could be against it. Because it's true that we won't get the money from the Republican-controlled legislature. So where are we going to get it from? And you can't tell me that two years after Ferguson that we have to wait two more years in an off-year election where Democrats prove that they don't come out. You can't say four years we wait um, because even four years, my community doesn't have four years to wait. We need to do it now. And if uh, you are a Chris Coster that's running and wants my community support, there's only one option. It's support the Raise Your Hand for Kids initiative or, um, hey, good luck. Well, I'm glad that you mentioned Chris Coster. You're excellent at segueing into our, our first and only clip. Um, I actually asked the Attorney General and Democratic nominee for governor about this initiative on Saturday. I'm going to play his whole response. It's about a minute and a half long. It's a little bit longer than usual, but I want to make sure everything is in context. 
I am very much in favor of the spirit of the bill. I'm very much in favor of the spirit of the proposal, but I am not in favor of it in the concrete uh, fashion that it has been put forward. There are several problems with it. Uh, the first is, it is an increase in the cigarette tax that is paid for by cigarette companies. Um, the second problem is that it, it creates a new educational bureaucracy in our state. We already have one educational bureaucracy in our state. I don't think that we need two departments of education. And it really, it, it pains me really to say this because I support the underlying idea aggressively for early childhood education. But to open up a second educational bureaucracy uh, does not seem like a wise path forward. And then there are some constitutional problems uh, around it. There is the, uh, the vagueness around uh, money for religious schools. Uh, there is a potential violation of the stem cell uh, aspect of the Constitution, and then I think that there's a real uh, problem in the appropriations clause as well. So this is why, I mean, I, I'm not alone in this assessment, unfortunately. The uh, NEA is against it. The Rural Educational Association is against it. Missouri Cures is against it. Washington University is against it. These are... Um, highly thought of organizations and it, it pains everybody to make these observations but that is the the situation so there's a lot to take in there i mean it's a minute no, it's and a half long clip but i want to hear your response to that because i know after i posted that clip including from you that caused twitter in missouri politics to be set ablaze so what's your response to the attorney general on that if he wants to be governor if he wants to be a leader or if he says he's a leader then he'll support it that's simple uh as a as a lawyer as he is, he didn't lead with the strongest argument. If I'm a lawyer and I'm not, I'm going to lead with the argument that's going to kill, you know, the opposing, the opposition. The last thing he said was there are some constitutional issues. If those were that big, he would have led with that. But he said that it's funded by the cigarette uh, companies. Why does it matter who's paying for it? We don't have the money, you don't have the money, and you're not going to use your money to push this initiative to get my community what it wants. So he said that first. You don't have a problem with R.J. Reynolds spending all the money for this? I do not, I, because this is what I want from our community. We need uh, early childhood education. We're not going to get it from the legislature. So we have to do what we have to do in order to get what our community needs. Okay, continue. Yes. Secondly, he said it creates another bureaucracy. I haven't seen his platform saying that he's going to minimize the bureaucracy in Jefferson City. So if he had said that, then that would be in line with what he previously stated. I haven't seen him say that. So to say that because you're creating a second bureaucracy that will, you know, take care of one thing, uh, that, that's not necessarily a bad thing if that's what it's going to do. It's going to get the money and it's going to distribute the money to the people that they said that they're going to, going to distribute it to. As a former Republican, my issue with uh, Attorney General Costa running for governor is that some of his uh, Republican uh, values are coming back into play. Um, he may have supported, you know, trickle-down uh, economics, and right now he's supporting trickle-down education, and that does not work for my communication because it's shown that the current bureaucracy uh, through uh, trickle-down education is not getting to us. So we need to do something that's a more direct approach and start from the perceived bottom-up and inject the money directly into the communities so that the community and the children that are there get what they need so they can ultimately be successful in life. It's proven that if you get an early start, that you can be better. So if he's saying that we don't need that early start, then I'd uh, wish him well.
to your point about Attorney General's comments about the bureaucracy that might be created, as the Attorney General mentioned, um, the Missouri National Education Association, the union representing teachers, uh, also has expressed a lot of concern over how that bureaucracy would ultimately deal with the money and how that partnership would go. Is is this another union you want to take on? I, I already took them on. They put out, uh, I think, four or five mailers against me uh, through an organization called um, Educators Support uh, Public Education. They put five of them. I can bring them back to you. So it's not a matter of taking on. I'll do anything I can to improve my community. And they've shown time and time again, and the reason I think they're against this is because they're not going to get 100% of the money. So if they want to uh, be against my community again and say that they're for my community, then we will show them that they're wrong and that they are not for our community. To simply be for my community and to get our support, you need to be in support of this proposal because why wait? We can't wait. Tell me what your plan is uh, if we wait. It's not going to include getting any money because the Republican legislature isn't going to give it to you. So where does it come from? And how much further behind are we going to be in two years, four years, or six years? Uh, one thing that I'll share with you again, I got all of these gems from Coster. I was at a uh, fundraiser with them. I have friends everywhere. I talk to everybody. <laughs> so at this fundraiser, it's just all doctors and lawyers in the room. Uh, one of the doctors uh, happened to, uh, well, one of the lawyers was uh, Scott Rosenblum. And, uh, no relation to me, by the way. I'm Rosenbaum, <laughs> but continue. Yeah, but it's it's all of these people. It's this fancy home in uh, Clayton. And uh, Coster didn't think I would be there, but I'm there. Um, and he told the room, you know, he's in, in support of uh, a tax increase on cigarettes. And he thought he could peel off $100 million for light manufacturing. He didn't mention, you know, education or anything else. So that's how he catered to that audience. So how is he catering to my community? It's not by saying that we could use the other $200 million for early childhood education. No, because he's been against it. Why was he against it? Because initially he was for the Missouri Promise uh, tobacco um, uh, cigarette tax increase. That's what he was for. Which would have, went, would have gone to college scholarships. But continue. Right, but public and private. Mm -hmm. So to say that you're against this, that means you never had the kids in mind. So uh, that's why I created the hashtag Costa for Kids. So Costa, it, it's tongue-in-cheek. He's not really for the kids because he can't come out in support of them now. But Costa's for the kids, if you ask me, I guess. Um, he stated a few different people that were against you, but um, what? Who's who's with you? I guess where is your support coming from? Uh, for the cigarette tax proposal. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Um, so we're uh, forming a coalition now. Uh, what I'll say is in the um, in the press conference last year, uh, we had Councilwoman Irby and myself. We had the city treasurer on board. Uh, we had Maria Chappelle Nadal there. We had um, former Senator uh, Retta Heard Days. We had Rochelle Walton Gray, representative. We had um, a couple of other individuals. So in the black community, we see this as an opportunity, and I'll reach out to these individuals and uh, you know, try to get them on board. But we've already shown that we are in support of using a cigarette tax increase for education. We didn't formally uh, sponsor or endorse a specific initiative, but that was the next stage. So the other thing I can show you is St. Louis County supports that. They passed a resolution. St. Louis City also passed the uh, resolution. So there's support that's out there. All we have to do is simply ask and we had to make sure that we got, you know, to the point where we could actually 
win and because they've uh, fought everybody off, it's very likely that we can win. We just need to uh, get all of the support on board and push, push through November. My last question for you before we let you go. 2018, there's going to be an open state Senate seat in the 14th district. Are you going to be one of those people who may jump into that? Because I would imagine that you wouldn't be the only one interested in it, but as you've shown this past election cycle, you can beat the odds, so to speak. What's your thought on 2018? So I have a not-for-profit organization called North County Forever. Mm-hmm. I came up with that name simply because I see North County being a place that lives and exists forever. We have a rich history. Uh, my number one job right now is uh, increasing the level of support that my community gets from the state, from the county, from our elected officials, and truly making sure that North County is a place that lives and exists forever. We have a great place that if we just attract people to it, attract businesses to it, North County will uh, be around forever. Uh, Prior to, you know, four years ago, I couldn't have said that. I didn't even want to come back here. I'm here and I've uh, poured my heart out to the community. I've worked for the community. We've dealt with Ferguson and uh, we're moving forward uh, with or without the people that say that they're with us. So uh, with regard to that, as long as North County is uh, there forever, and it's striving or it's thriving, uh, you know, if the people will have me, then I'll be there for them. In what capacity, that's up to the people. Okay, we'll keep that open. We'll probably ask you again closer to 2018. We just got through the 2016 primary season. I admit you probably don't want to make a declaration two years ahead of time. We'll have to have you on then. Thank you so much for coming in today for all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. How would we follow you on Twitter, Rebecca? Uh, Rebecca Rivas. And how would we follow you on Twitter, Steph? At Steph Lecce. And how would we follow you on Twitter, Representative? Curtis for MO. So that's Curtis for Missouri, F-O-R-M-O. That, that's a big question because we've had a lot of people on our show that either go with the number four or the whole word spelled out. You went with the whole words spelled out. You are a champion. We'll be back next week. Until then, so long. <laughs>